Hello, everyone, and welcome to Tabletop Radio Hour, your podcast for everything tabletop. My name is Zach, and like always, I have with me Mark. Hello. How you doing, Mark? Good. How about you? Doing very, very well. Thank Excellent. you. Well, today's topic on uh, on the podcast waves is going to be players when when talking about RPG games or, or tabletop games. Uh, a lot of a lot of people that get into RPGs and, and tabletop games have have a specific moment when it, it drew them into it and it it caught their attention and then they just got into the game. You know that happened for me most definitely. <laughs> and uh, there are also a lot of people that are interested in in tabletop games and in RPGs. But they don't necessarily know how to get into it because maybe they don't have a set group of people that, that they that have the same interests as them or maybe they don't have a – maybe they're in a smaller town and, and they don't have the means to uh, to go to a gaming store or anything like that just to uh, to pick up games here and there. And we wanted to give some advice for newer players who maybe want to get into RPGs or have recently gotten into RPGs but – but need a couple tips, need some help here and there. Yeah, it's kind of a great way to really kind of – it's still one of our early shows, and I think it's a great way to kind of introduce the topic to people is, you know, in terms of uh, how does a beginner begin. Yeah, absolutely. And and I know some people who don't have that big friends group, uh, they need some help here and there, you know. Sure. One thing that comes to mind when uh, talking about role-playing games is finding the right role-playing game for you. Which is which is very important because, you know, for me it's important to play a game that keeps your attention and that gives you that fulfillment of fi- of playing the game that you want to play. You know? That's very true, and I, th- I think it's kind of important to to note that um, there are different types of gamers. You know, there you know people do kind of look for some different things uh, in their gaming experience, and different games might. Um, you know, facilitate some of that better. It's also important to know that there are different games out there. You know, a lot of times you go into your, your uh, gaming store and, or, you know, comic store or bookstore, you see Dungeon Drag- Dungeons and Dragons all over the place, maybe Pathfinder. And, you know, if they're really diverse, maybe they have, uh, I don't know, the Star Wars game. Mm-hmm. But uh, there really is a lot more out there. You know, some of it's only available on the internet, but uh, you know, finding a good match to what your what your group is looking for is important. Absolutely, and it makes the storytelling aspect and the gameplay aspect a little bit more. Uh, uh, they they want to play it more if it's something everybody wants to play. True, and and the other part, of, you know, the other part of this equation is the challenge of finding a group, you know, a like minded group, or or at least a a group that can coordinate. Um, I think it was that Jack on our on the last show made the comment that we're really lucky because all of us are a group that specifically wanted we're drawn to seven C, so that means we're all Absolutely. a certain type of player that uh, coordinate really well. Um, you know, a lot of times, you know, like I say, D and D is kind of the standard. That's if you have a gaming group, at least it was you know for me, it's usually a D and D group. And you might and you might be trying to introduce a different game to a D and D group, 
that uh, you know has some certain preconceptions. Right. Yeah, that makes a good point. Like with with my home group here, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want to play Seven C. Yeah, you know, because they are the they are the kind of people that enjoy the D and D and the Pathfinder systems and that style of gameplay. Absolutely, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that. That's why those games exist, and you know, they're good, solid games. But uh, there there mm-hmm. are different options out there. Yeah, absolutely. There's not just two or three different game systems that you're stuck with. You know, if it's not a game store, you know. Uh, RPG, what is it? RPG drive-through. Drive-through. Oh, absolutely. Is a good, yeah, definitely has absolutely anything you can think of as far as uh, RPG core books. Yeah, you know, and it's on a PDF basis, so yeah. you won't spend an arm and a leg for a, a, a book, an actual hardcover book. Right. I mean, just to test it out. You know, I've got maybe uh, eight, nine different game core books mm-hmm. on PDFs because I wanted to try it out. Yeah, it's a great way to experiment. Absolutely. Yeah, and if it's not for you, hey, you paid five bucks for a PDF that you could pass <laughs> to a friend or something. True. Yes. So, I mean, there's a lot of options out there, and it just takes a little bit of research and a little bit of exploring to find those those other options. Mm-hmm. You know, and talking about more of a, a tactical, more you know, combat map type of game – there are the options like D&D and Pathfinder, mm-hmm. and then there are also these miniature games like uh, like Warhammer 40K. Right. There are a bunch of different books for that, and uh, that's always an option, and it's worth looking into if you're the more tactile, more strategy-based player. Well, yeah, and you know, I know uh, you know when we did our little pre-show for our, before our first gaming session – you know, we kind of mentioned defining role-playing, and, and that's a pretty wide definition. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have, you know, on one hand, like you say, you have the tactical stuff, um, which is, I mean, you know, basically chess to, you know, with with more diverse rules and a little, little bit more uh, realism, uh, perhaps. Um, I mean, to an extreme, the board game Clue could arguably be called a role-playing game because you're taking on professor plum and trying to solve a mystery um absolutely but uh then you you know you go back and some of the other some stuff is a lot more narrative probably don't even have a board out you don't have any type of uh uh tactical stuff going on everything is just uh kind of theater of the mind which i think is a lot of kind of what we do and why it works really well as a podcast right yeah i a comparison of that would be, you know, like the Seventh Sea game system, and then like the White Wolf series that is pretty pretty much one hundred percent storytelling. Yes, mm-hmm. and it just takes that kind of person to to know what they want. And the more I play Seventh Sea, the more I realize I'm the kind of person that enjoys a more heavy storytelling game. Yeah, yes, I am too. I I really like um, I like cinematic action. I like you know the the kind of kind of stuff you'd see in an action movie and um you know some of the the more plotting stuff is is it's going to draw more um a more tactical minded uh person and it certainly has its place i've enjoyed a lot of really good um tactical style uh combat games and you know even Mm role-playing games with that type of uh moving a piece around a board but it's it's a very different style uh, you know, it's just one example of the different styles that are out there. 
Yeah, yeah, talking about those those action movie kind of games, you know, you said you were more into the uh all the franchise games like like the Firefly games and uh That's true. James Bond and and Star Trek and everything like that. And that's a good point. There are all those options of those franchise games that it that would be a little bit easier to find a group of people that's more uh, like-minded in that sense. Right, and or at least people who know the universe already. Yeah, you know, it's, right. it's a good good introductory way of going in, you know, as opposed to even though D&D is fairly popular, you can get something different than D&D and uh you know kind of look at look at the actual role-playing aspect, you know, without a lot of the uh perhaps the perceived or assumed uh baggage that uh, D&D might have. All those systems like D&D and Pathfinder are very rules heavy. I don't mm-hmm. know about the franchise games as far as, uh, as like the Star Trek and everything. But they like vary. That. And like everything will. Of course it will. Um, you know, I mean, there are some, I, I played a game, um, um, uh, Rollmaster was out, you know, a long time ago and they had a, you know, they basically had a, uh, um, Lord of the Rings offshoot. Um, and Rollmaster, uh, I have never seen a game as rules heavy as Role Rollmaster is kind of like the poster child of rule heavy games. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it is, you know, very very rules heavy. Um which yeah, I mean let's face it Tolkien is kind of heavy in general, so it, it was kind of appropriate. So I mean that was an example of a franchise game that was heavy. Then but uh, another one Ghostbusters is another game that is very rules light. So okay. you can get a lot of range within that anyway. But, uh, you know, but in addition to, you know, I mean, we're talking about different, you know, those are just a few different things. You have different um, uh, rules approaches, you have different rules, difficulty, and and different genres. You know, these are all different aspects Mm -hmm. of of games that uh, would, uh, could appeal to your group in different ways. Right, absolutely. You have a, you have a very good point there. But now that you've kind of know a starting point with with what kind of game you want to play, the next step is finding people to play with. Yes. Which sometimes can be a very, very difficult step. It really is. And, you know, different, you know, it depends on where you are in your life too. You know, in your, you're in high school and college, you know, you're kind of around people. It's, it's can be a little bit easier to find a group, but right. then you get, uh, you start going your separate ways and, you know, that's, you know, that can be more difficult finding Finding that any comic store or, or hobby store usually has a board up with uh, lists of people looking for games or looking for mm-hmm. players, which is an option, but even that can be a challenge. Right, and uh, sometimes, like I went to a convention, and in the bottom floor of the convention, they just did tabletop games. Oh yeah, all down there, and so. If if your your town or surrounding towns have a convention that they do every year, that ask them if they have a a gaming room, you know, and that's a good place to meet people. And at at that point, I had gotten into role playing games and was like, okay, this group I used to be with kind of fizzled, mm-hmm. and then a little bit later down the ro- road, I realized the friends I already had were also interested in in role playing games. Yeah, that I didn't know, so. You'd be surprised at who's interested in that. That is true. Yeah, you, you're. It's often surprising to find out who you run into that uh, would be an, might be an option. 
Absolutely. And a lot of my f- my friends from high school were actors because I was in mm-hmm. theater. Mm-hmm. And and if people have a background in that, not always, but sometimes they're more likely to be interested in that because of the acting ras- aspect of the games. Sure. Um, and, you know, again, this is where going into something that's uh, maybe not uh, D&D can open doors. Um, you know, you might say, hey, are you interested in role-playing? Oh, is that that D&D thing? I've heard that's weird. Hey, no, we're, it's going to be uh, Star Trek, so it's totally different. And, uh, you know, that can be you know, that can that can get some people interested in, in different ways too. And and of course, you know, I, I don't mean to down uh downplay D and D either, you know. There's a lot of people out there that I've heard of D and D, but uh, I've never actually tried it. It's a it's a great way to say, Hey, let's let's give this thing a try. Let's see why everybody likes it so much. And it could work. Right, absolutely. And I've heard a bunch of stories that that these this group of players tried a, a game system and it epically failed, but it takes going through that to know that it'll fail. I mean, you you have to give it a try sometimes too. You, ha- you have to give it a try. And, um, you know, there's also something to be said for learning from your mistakes too. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, as, as, after you play a few times, you can kind of see, you know, maybe how to tweak things maybe to, uh, to better fit your specific group. Right. And that brings up, uh, I believe it was Jack. That in our last podcast, he was talking about a lot of the game systems he's played. He customized himself. Sure, that's always a possibility. That's always an option for for you. If uh, yeah. something doesn't work, change it. Yeah, and that brings up the thought of house rules mm-hmm. because there, like a lot of the times in fifth edition or fourth edition D anD D, there were a lot of things that I didn't love about the game system when I was yeah. GMing. And and so I, I tweaked it a little bit and just told these people, hey, I don't love this aspect of it. How does this sound for doing this instead? And most of the time, they're on board for it. True, true. I can't say I'm a big fan of, of house rules, but uh, <laughs> but they have their place. They definitely have their place. I think, yeah, I mean, the downside is you, know, you, you change a rule. And I think it's done, a lot of people will just kind of do it arbitrarily. Um, and you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times without thinking of the consequences of how that, that fits everything else, you know, I would, I would urge some, some caution to it, but, uh, they, that's always an option. There is nothing. I don't think any game designer is ever going to say, don't do what you want with this. Cause the whole point of role-playing is to build an experience for your group that is going to, is going to work for you. Right. Yeah. Uh, an example of, of a house rule that I always love to do with 5th edition, the core book doesn't necessarily touch on this all that much, at least that or I skipped over it completely. <laughs> but but in 4th edition, there was flanking. So hmm. if, you, if, if one player was in front of the enemy and you were attacking from behind, you got advantage. Okay, yep. So you, you got, in 4th in edition, I believe it's, uh, you get a plus 2 to your attack roll. Okay. Or something like that. But it doesn't really touch on that in 5th edition, but I love the flanking aspect for the players. Yeah. Because that gives them a little bit more of a strategic advantage. And maybe if they're fighting a, a bigger boss, you know, they can have a, a more likely chance to do damage. And so I I usually implement that into my 5th edition games just for the player's sake. 
Well, and, and like I said, I haven't played fifth edition, but I've read the rules. And, and my understanding of the rules is that's pretty open to being acceptable. You know, advantage is something that kind of the GM decides, do you have an advantage? And you say flanking is an advantage. Sure, it is. So, yeah, yeah that's, absolutely. that's very reasonable, very, very acceptable. Um, that I think that's exactly the kind of thing that uh, the designers are kind of looking to, to allow. Right, absolutely. It it gives the the players and the GM a little bit more customization. Sure. You know, another area for customization is um, the world. You know, world building. Mm -hmm. uh, especially something like D and D seems like a lot of DMs will uh, create their own world, and each world is going to have kind of unique aspects and pieces of it that uh, are going to be unique to that game. And, uh, you know, that's another thing that, you know, can, can help bring a, a specific group together if they have a, you know, a, a group that likes, you know, say, say it's a group that likes firearms. Okay, well, we'll, we'll have a little bit more firearm-heavy D&D group. There's nothing wrong with that. I know uh, the Critical Role guys from Geek and Sundry, they... Uh, implemented the gunslinger class for yeah. Pathfinder exactly. because one of their characters, well, I, it, it went more from, they started in Pathfinder and then evolved to fifth edition D and D. Okay. But this player had chosen the gunslinger class, but fifth edition doesn't have a gunslinger class. So they, they kind of implemented that and, and they made it an archetype for the fighter class, which is great. It's awesome. Makes sense. But yeah, it gives, it gives them more customization and more abilities to do what they want to do because some of the rules are flexible enough that you can add the this or that and it'll work. Right, right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's a kind of a good – in my opinion, that's that's kind of makes for a good role-playing game when there's some flexibility to it. Um, right. Because, uh, let's face it, anybody who's – game mastered knows that part of the, the job requires being flexible because you have no idea what the players are going to throw at you. Mm -hmm. And th that goes for the game designers as well. You know, you, you can put something out there, but you know, the players are going to come at it. They're going to throw something at a game master that's not covered and your rules better have some flexibility for that sort of thing. Right. Back to talking about the world of, of the games like D&D and Pathfinder. There yeah. are a bunch of books out there mm -hmm. that have pre-made worlds. Not necessarily pre-made campaigns. I'm not talking about like a, like a, a pre-written module or anything like that. But there are these, these worlds, mm -hmm. these continents, these planets. I mean, whatever you, whatever you want. There's, there is information online or in book form about Dozens of them, hundreds yes. of them. I mean, I don't even know how many there are. Mm -hmm. There are these essentially different universes. Right. And it's it's great because if you're not the world-building type, there are options for you. You don't have to build a world if you don't want to. No, no, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, there's always the options of tweaking them. But, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, as we said, if, if, if you're establishing a world that's established – that gives the other players a chance to uh, get the book themselves and also understand the world and to, uh, to actually help the game master um, 
to some degree. And, you know, the character can be can be a little bit more immersive that way. Right. Yeah, you're right about that. Uh, talking about the DM or the GM, uh, another point is deciding who should. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which sometimes is hard because, you know, a part of everybody either getting into a new campaign or uh, or still with the same group of friends you've played with for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, every a little bit of everybody wants to be a player in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And there is a lot of... Uh, there, there's a different value in being a DM too. Um, you know, you, you get to flex some different creative muscles, you know, doing the both. I think one of the things when I, you and I very first started chatting, one of the things I pointed out was um, when you find a game, you're walking through, you know, maybe you have a group or you have a group, you want to do something, you find a game like say 7C and you think, wow, that looks like that would be really fun to play. Well, mm-hmm. you're the one bringing it to your group which means you have to sell it to your group, which really ultimately <laughs> means you need to game master it to to them. And so when you find a game that you would really love to play, you almost always become the game master because you're the one introducing it. Um, right. And, uh, you know, there, like I said, there is a lot of value to that. There is, there's, you know, it's, uh, you know, it can be a lot of fun game mastering, but, um, you know, it is something that, that you end up more often than not game mastering the games that you love the most. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like in the sense of us, we got this group together. I got this group together and I'm the GM, you know? Right. Right. And in this sense, I wanted to be, you know, and a lot of the times more, more or less picking the person who GMs is, is more about a group of people that have played together for a while. And, you're going to start a new campaign in in a system you all already know. Hopefully, yes. Yes, that's true. But I think there's, you know, different people are going to click with different games in different ways. I know I don't think I would be a good Dungeons & Dragons game master. I've played it. I can play it. I enjoy playing it. Um, but uh, it's not a good fit for me in terms of running it. I think, uh, you know, and I've played with different people who game master differently. Um, some game masters are very specific and precise, and I think they they probably wouldn't deal as well with a, a game that's as open and improvisational as 7C. You know, right. they probably would do better with a game that's more more tactical. That is something too that that's a that's going to be part of the personal preferences and and how to finding the how to find the best fit for each person yeah and that that comes to mind uh, the flexibility of the gm as well mm-hmm. exactly because with me i am more focused on the storytelling mm-hmm. and less on the actual rules and in our in our first session of the actual play i'm sure there are 300 rules i absolutely forgot or didn't do <laughs> Just because I wanted to have fun and wanted to focus on the story of this. Sure. And that's a thing, too. If your GM is flexible and you're super rules heavy, you know, it's kind of a – you have to find a middle ground there. Absolutely. Uh, You know, there was another – again, I want to say it was Jack made a fantastic point. Jack has so many great points. He does, doesn't he? But uh, he he said, um, you know, if one player is kind of the rules lawyer, everyone has to be. 
you know, if everyone, you know, it's going to be that, uh, you know, real rules heavy player that's going to feed off. Everybody's going to feed off that. Yeah. I think he was, I think he was talking more about like power gamers. Power if gamers. one of your players wants it, yeah. to be a power gamer. That was it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, if one of your players wants to power game and wants to make the best and baddest player out there that wants to kill the most monsters and and take the boss out with one one hit, you know, all the players have to adjust to that because the power gamer will ultimately be a better player than a base player, you know, yes. a, a base level any character that anybody wants to make. Yes, that that was a brilliant observation, I think. Mm-hmm. And and very true. That's um and, you know, I think the same kind of goes for a game master. If the game master is going to be pushing um, that kind of power scenarios, it's going to, uh, it, it's going to, you know, the players have to keep up. That kind of uh, transitions over to, okay, so now, now we've got a game and now we've got people to play with. Mm-hmm. Now we have decided who's going to GM. Now what all do you need to play this game? So... Each system is going to be specific in what they'll need, but ultimately every game you play, whether you're the player or the GM, is uh, the core book. Mm -hmm. Uh, You need a general understanding of the rules so you can play. Well, yeah, you need – in some way you need a general understanding of the rules, whether that's, you know, through a core book or, you know, I mean – to be honest, you know, really, if you just sit down and come up with a, a set of of rules, you don't even really need a an a existing system. But uh, yeah, you do, you do need some sort of shared understanding of the rules, and and core books are the the standard method of of delivering finding that. those rules. Yeah, agreeing yeah. upon them, especially. Right. And if, if you want to implement any house rules, it's like, okay, I don't like how this mechanic works necessarily. We're going to tweak it a little bit. Having everybody on the same page as that. Sure. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it's also good to have something to take notes with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, that is always because important. I've, I've GM'd those games that nobody cares to take, to take notes about it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then we don't meet for three, four weeks, and then nobody knows what happens. Exactly. That is that is always a a challenge. I mean, a lot a lot of that though can depend on the style of game too. Um, most definitely. You know, most games, yes, you're immersed in this world. You know, if you're a player, you're immersed in this world along with everyone else. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, immerse yourself. Uh, but uh, you know there might be some situations where um, where you don't know as much. Um, mm-hmm. We keep talking about paranoia, and that's a game <laughs> where the players aren't supposed to know the rules. They're you know they're mm-hmm. kind of part of the the point of that game is kind of them being in the dark to to, uh, to a strong degree. So right, um, you know uh, I think Cthulhu is another one that you know has some a lot of that uh just go along with the flow and hope you don't die type approach right and i'm very interested to get into a call of cthulhu game i've got a a friend here in in town that is also interested so maybe getting one more person or something so nice it it would be uh it'd be good to to you know for me i want to try 
different systems and see what I like about different ones. That's a great approach. That's a great, uh, I, I, th I think it's a great thing to do. Um, not just try different games, but even just trying different uh, combinations within a game. Um, for example, mm -hmm. I started, you know, when I very first started, I think I, I mentioned, I found a Star Trek role-playing game. And that's what I picked mm -hmm. up and said, ooh, this looks like it would be fun to play. And I did exactly what I said. I brought it to the group that I was gaming with and said, hey, anybody interested in doing this? So I game mastered it and it went over mm -hmm. pretty well. So one of the other players, the player who was playing the captain in my campaign decided he was going to run another, another version of Star Trek where we all played Klingons. And so I was... I was the captain of the Klingon ship when he game mastered, and he was the captain of the Federation ship when I game mastered. And so we were able to kind of flip flip flop and try some different things within the same game, which, mm -hmm. you know, made for some interesting dynamics. Right. And I think that takes the mind of several people to, to accomplish, you know? Oh, yeah. And I think the more you play and the more you're familiar with games, the more comfortable you'll be with experimenting within the game. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yes. When finding out what you need to play, it would just be, you know, what would be best for you mm -hmm. to have. You know, if you want to have a notepad, if you want to have a laptop so you can type out, you know, what goes on as things go on, that's that's fine. <laughs> You know, as long as it's as long as it's all right with the rest of the group, there's there's nothing wrong with it. It's it, yeah, I agree. Uh, the only thing is, be careful of letting of uh, creating things that are going to be a distraction for you. You know, True. typing stuff out on a, on a computer is is great, but if you're surfing the web while you're while the rest of your team is expecting you to be focused on on a battle, <laughs> that uh, that can be yeah. problematic. Yeah, and that actually comes to a. Uh, a very, very good point that I, I didn't think of until now. <laughs> um, having respect for the other players. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As you play. Um, so I think... say you're at a table with five people and, you know, you're, you're all, like four of you are invested in the game. But one of your players is sitting on their phone and, you know, texting their girlfriend or wife or right. whatever. You know? Right. I mean, it, it needs to... At that point, if ever, if more than one person has a problem with it, it needs to be addressed. True, true. So, um, I, I mean, game etiquette. Yeah, we could probably do a whole show on game etiquette too. Um, but uh, next podcast. There you go. <laughs> Stay tuned, folks. Come back next time. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that's something that's very important to uh, um, kind of be working together, especially. I think. You know, it's kind of interesting how, you know, games have evolved, of course, you know, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but back in my day, <laughs> you know, you actually sat around tables and, and that's a great way to do it. But now, um, you know, with internet, uh, having online games is, is awesome. I mean, you know, we're doing it with, right. with people all over the world. Um, I'm able to connect with people that, uh, on my other game that, uh, I haven't seen in years, but, you know, we can mm -hmm. come back together and play online. And it's creating a totally different uh, uh, dynamic in terms of um, the kind of etiquette and kind of some of the things that are going on and approaches to how you do things. 
another thing that comes to mind is as you're playing, work as a team. Oh, that's a that's a very important part of the role playing game is the fact that you all are a part of this party that have the same goal. So why wouldn't you work together? Yes. Uh, well, again, there are different there are different types of games. Um, there can mm-hmm. be games where some backstabbing is part of you know part of of the the theme of what you're going for. And I know there's also a, a gaming philosophy of I, I'm going to be really evil in in my role playing game so that I won't be evil in real life. Um, you know, <laughs> have you heard this kind of you know? I'm going to go murder nuns in the role-playing game because I would never do that in real life. I can understand the concept behind it. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> it, it, it's almost like these people are using it as a, as a form of anger management. Yes, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, that's an approach. If that's something that, you know, if that is something that works for you, okay. If that works for your team, more importantly, I think. Um, right. You know, if you're playing the, uh, you know, if you're playing D and D and you're the thief and you're always stealing your own party's stuff, um, <laughs> it can be a great, you know, it can be a great character definer, but uh, it can be annoying to your to your teammates and your gaming group. That also kind of brings us to the topic of um, gamer knowledge versus player or, or character knowledge versus player knowledge. Right. You know, which is you know. Two players can be antagonistic, or, or two characters might be antagonistic, but the players can't be. So, you know, using using our game as an example, um, I'm not sure Nathaniel completely trusts Jack and Wasim yet. Um, Absolutely. But as a player, I think they're great guys. I am so looking forward to, <laughs> to playing with these guys. They they ha- they bring some, so much great stuff to the table, but. Character-wise, there's still some some mistrust there, and I think you know, right. and that and, works great. And yeah, and in our game, since it is a somewhat diplomatic beginning to the story, mm-hmm. there's there are gonna be those mistrusts, you know. Right, right. It gives us something to work towards. Right, because of the the past with with Avalon and Montaigne, mm-hmm. and you know, not necessarily trusting the other. Right, and that's that's perfectly fine as long as you keep it within the game. You know, exactly. you don't have to mistrust this. You don't have to mistrust this other player just because their their character is is a part of you know. Right, you know, right. So. Um, you know, as long as we're all working, you know, as players, we're all working towards the story. Um, as mm-hmm. as characters, we might uh, we might butt heads, but yeah, that's uh... and that's that's one hundred percent natural too. Mm-hmm. Yes, but but always remember that that is a character thing. You know, don't don't let that. Don't take it personally if the if if the the player in character shows mistrust to your character. Exactly right. Yes. Thinking about uh, player versus character knowledge that that brings brings up the thought of the player knowing more about a specific thing. Mm. So, say you know we watch Star Wars and we know how the Death Star is destroyed. Right. You know, but you're going through that situation in, like pre-explosion uh, of the Death Star. Mm-hmm. But your character doesn't know that's going to happen. True. 
True. That's so don't act like your character knows that. Great point. Yes. It's having having the outside knowledge that your character doesn't, and sticking with that. Right. Uh, you know, in, in theater and in, in acting, that's called you know being in the moment. You know, mm-hmm. just you know knowing that's true. You know, play the play the moment. Don't anticipate. Um, you know what you know might be coming later. Yeah, because you know the entire script since you've memorized all the lines. You know the script and you know what's going to happen in the end. Yes. But the audience doesn't. Right. So that's a, that's a good point to make. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like the same going from the GM side of it. You know, mm-hmm. if you've written three quests ahead and you know how, you know, where they're – I mean, what this NPC, this major boss is going to do later on, don't tip off to the players that – you already have that planned. No, I mean it's kind of an assumption that you know if you're on a journey, you're you're going to go somewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. almost all games you end with a boss battle, so you know that that theory that there is going to be some sort of a climactic encounter, you know, is an assumption. But uh, right, and uh, a little bit of, of uh, foretelling. Isn't too bad, but uh, yeah, play. Yeah. Don't don't let that overpower what's happening in, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a very good point. Another thing, while playing as as a group, as either a, a new group of players or a, a veteran group of players that have been playing together for a while, the the game style of any particular game doesn't, whether it's super strategic or not, doesn't always need to be super strategic no so if if you're in a a, a minor you know mob battle in D, there are four enemies and there are five of you it, you know it doesn't have to be you don't have to plan out all the steps before the battle happens well i think that that uh depends a lot on the game master i think a mm-hmm. good game master does indeed kind of go with uh the spirit of the rules over the uh, the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, especially in a good game, making it a good story uh, trumps the rules every time. If it's, if it's a, if it's a fun, exciting, exhilarating experience, then that's what counts. When I'm, when I'm game mastering, mm-hmm. my goal is to have to care, have the characters out of breath after every session. <laughs> that's that's for me that's a sign of a good a good time yeah absolutely yeah you want that sense of excitement within the game yeah yeah which is which is nice and yeah i think you know getting too heavy into the tactical side of it can can kind of take you out of the the here and now you know that we were talking about playing the moment um mm-hmm. a lot of times and i think uh you know that that's the challenge with that type of gaming yeah, and and thinking about that makes me think of um, the the more focused you are on combat and the intensity of the combat, mm-hmm. it breaks apart the fluidity of of this the story. Right. So I mean, say you're in a, a battle for 15 minutes, you know, and you finish, but you forget what you did before you got into battle. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. Um, because you it, the because the battle was so intense and took so much attention that that you had to plan all this stuff and then 
now you're done and what do you do? <laughs> or or you forget why you're battling in the first place. You know, this this guy right. has a diamond that you're trying to get. And then you get into this big, huge battle. You battle, battle. Yeah, I killed him. Okay, and I walk away and I realize, oh, I never picked the diamond off. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that's... Uh, right. Yeah, it's a very good point. It's a good thing to think about. Yes. So sw- switching over to from from newer players to not so new players, a thing that is always difficult within groups that have been playing together for a while is the thought of keeping things fresh. If a group has been playing for a while together and you've been playing the same system, mm-hmm. it's it's difficult to think of new things for that party to do you know yeah maybe they maybe they got the got to the end of this story and you know you you went to the final boss battle they beat the boss and they want to keep playing sure um you know it's a thing to think about of of ways to keep things uh keep keep the player's attention after an extended period of time right and i think i think it's well it's just a challenge of you know, just, it's just the challenge of forcing yourself to think, yeah, what haven't we done before? You know what? Maybe right. if if all our stuff has been, um, you know, fighting in dungeons, maybe we, uh, you know, maybe we go out to a, a field somewhere. Maybe we go up north somewhere and deal with snow monsters and deal, you know, um, different mm-hmm. environments, different, uh, you know, because uh, any, just, you know, just about any of the established worlds have different countries, have different uh, nationalities with different flavors. And, you know, that can be a way of just going and, and finding something new. Right, absolutely. And in the sense of a world you've created yourself, mm-hmm. you can easily create a brand new continent that yes. has these different elements that you're looking for. Sure. And uh, but, it, but even, I mean, that gives you a different atmosphere, which is going to give you a different flavor anyway. Um, but even within within a smaller region, maybe you just have a different type. You know, if you're dealing with, if you're used to dealing with nobles, maybe you do something out with the, the peasant folk. Um, Mm -hmm. You uh, maybe you just, you know, if you have a lot of city stuff, you go out to the woods and fight some, some animal monsters. Um, You know, they're, uh, you know, it's just a matter of trying to push yourself to say, what haven't we done and how can we do that? Right. And uh, as a as a group that gets together regularly, it's it's you know up to one person or the GM to bring to the table. Okay, are you all all right with maybe changing a game and changing a GM? You know, so that's always an option. It really is. We, uh, um, I ran a uh, or I was part of a Star Wars game. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. There, there were three of us. There were only three players. So what we did was we each did like a round robin game mastering. So, mm-hmm. you know, one week I would game master and my character would be back home running errands or something. And then the next week, um, the next player would, his character would take off and he would game master the other two of us. And then he would go mm-hmm. and the third person would game master while his character was away for the other two player two of us and it was a, a great way to bring a lot of diversity because um, we we each had a different feel and what we did was we kind of t- 
targeted um, when we were game mastering, we kind of targeted one spe- one of the other players, and then the third player mm-hmm. was kind of the the sidekick for that character. Okay. So you know, so not only did the game master role rotate, but the lead character rotated through all three of us, and you know, so one one character was kind of dealing with uh, more political uh, issues within you know his his on his planet one character was kind of dealing with uh, mobsters and a little bit more of the underworld side of it one i think was a little bit more military um type okay. adventures so i mean we had okay. different flavors different approaches um you know different leads and so within one game we were able to just kind of rotate around and, and create something really neat that's an awesome concept i've always wanted to do that but haven't had the group to do that with yes and it's it's an amazing concept to me because that uh, that having that regular rotation mm-hmm. of GM and and main character is what some people need to keep things fresh, which is great. It's a great way of doing it, yeah. And that that comes to mind uh, not having the same person DM or GM every time. You know, it's like maybe these these players are done with these characters and they want to start new characters and begin this new story. Mm-hmm. Well, rotate the DM, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a good way of doing it. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But you, you'll, you also have to make sure that you're are, you are encountering other people who are, I don't want to say as good as at GMing, but it's, it is a specific skill and um, you know, mm-hmm. you want somebody that's going to be uh, gaming and, um, building something that uh, they believe in and they can, they can immerse themselves in as well. Right. Absolutely. And and not everybody's the kind of person that likes to GM and that's okay. It is okay. Absolutely. Uh, you, you can't, you can't force, it's not something you can force someone into. Um, no, absolutely not. And if you do, it'll just end up being a horrible situation. Exactly. And, and nobody will really have fun. Right. Very, very true. You know, I don't, I don't, count myself to be a great GM in any sense of, of the meaning at all. You know, <laughs> I just like I just like telling a story and I like getting together with my friends and playing a game, you know, you know, and that really that's 99.9% of being a good game master is, is wanting mm-hmm. to, to bring something to the group, um, to, to get things started, to get the ball rolling. Um, right. And, you know, hopefully the, the players are gonna, gonna bring, bring some of the energy as well. And, you know, as soon as they start bringing some energy to it, that's something for the game master to feed off of. And, you know, you start working together in that way. And, and that's when, uh, that's when great things start to happen. Right. And I know specifically that I'm not the kind of person that in the moment I'm going to tell everybody all the details. I'm not very descriptive when I'm, when I'm put on the spot. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, cause mapping out and laying out um, environments and stuff like that isn't my forte, but I've also only been GMing for a year. So, I mean, gotcha. I, I don't expect to be that good at that stuff, Well, you know, right off the bat. Of course, of course not. You know, and that's, that's something I'll just to remember is, you know, if you're, if you're a beginning GM, we've all been a beginning GM somewhere sometime. And um, there are always people who want to 
who enjoy the playing part of it as well. So game masters are, you know, players are a dime a dozen, but a good mm-hmm. game master is is always pretty much as long as you're willing to learn, willing to work with your group, you're going to do great. And that comes to mind, you know, making sure everybody's on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is a big thing with GMs. So it's like make sure – I mean I – after all of my sessions, I usually ask – is there anything you need clarified? Do you all have any questions about anything that happened? And and just make sure that everybody knows going forward. That's that's an important step, yeah. And it, and it's tricky to do. Um, I mean, it's reading a group is is a very difficult uh, skill, and it's you know it's something that you're going to learn. You're going to pick up on the group, and you know as long as you're open to listening. Um, to what the players are, are saying and suggesting, that's that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that too is don't be discouraged when the players just kind of shrug and say, okay, everything is fine. Because right. the players are also trying to kind of get a feel for what the game master is doing. You know, it's, it's a give and take on both ends that, uh, you know, probably just needs a little time to to grow and evolve and and start working together um, to make the best game game possible. Right. And that makes me think of our group that we're getting together. Oh yeah. Uh, I have laid out a very basic um, explanation of some things just to see how you all encounter those things Mm -hmm. and see how you all work as players because your characters are already 100% fleshed out. Yeah. You know, we don't have to worry about character development that much at all, except for, you know, interpersonal uh, character development between, between the players, between the characters. Right. But, um, you know, as, as a new group, it is important for the GM to know your players. Mm hmm. And and I gave a little bit of room for that. And I've already found out how you all work, you know, after a, a three-hour session of playing. So. <laughs> yeah. And it's, uh, it's a good thing to do as a, as a new GM or as a new group, even, even if you have GM'd before, uh, just getting to know how your players react in certain situations. Right. And a big pet peeve of mine with GMs and with DMs is those somewhat vindictive GMs that want to <laughs> to throw these characters in every single bad situation ever. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, you do want to challenge the the characters, challenge the players. That's that's what your goal is. That's what your job is. Um but if your goal is to to screw up the characters, that's a problem. You're, you're, yeah. You should be trying to challenge them, not not maliciously, not presenting things maliciously. Yeah, and and don't don't just go to take out the entire party, you know, with a no. with a, a big boss fight. You know, that's not. It it goes back to we touched on this a little bit in our first episode, playing the same game as everybody else. Yes. <clears throat> So your intent is very important with what kind of game you're playing. True. So like in in chess, you know, the rules of the game 
are, you know, taking the taking the king and, yeah. and checking the king. Yeah. If your goal in that game is to take out the knights, you're playing the wrong game. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> yes. So in and that goes back to making sure everybody's on the same page too. You know, yeah. if these players want to want to play a super difficult, you know, the GM's out to get you kind of game, mm-hmm. lay that on the table first thing. You know, yeah. don't halfway through the campaign, you know, say, "Oh, I'm out to out to get you guys," and it's pretty much any man for himself. It's a little bit too late. It's very true. I mean, you know, you, you say the the game master, you know, if the game master wants to be vindictive, I mean, really honestly. With role-playing games, the game master is in complete control. If he wants to kill the entire party, a giant rock falls out of the sky and lands and crushes everybody. Game over. Right. So there is no game. There, there's nothing. There is no challenge. There's no game to a game master who's just out to be vindictive. What right. makes the game is when the, the game master is working with everybody to you know, challenging people to create a good story. Absolutely. And you have to, to find that, find what's right for you. Yes. Which is, which is kind of the, the whole central point of this entire episode. That's true. That's very true. (laughs) Just finding, finding what works for you and finding what works for the group and working together to achieve that. Yes. Like all of us in our seventh C game, we all want to have fun and we want to tell a story together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's our, that's our collective goal. Yep. And we really didn't need to talk about that because that's the kind of game seventh C is. Exactly. And we all knew that coming it's into the it. the kind of game. Right. And, and it's great that you all already knew, knew the game system and know the premise of the game to where that didn't need to be discussed. Right. Very, very true. So yeah, that's, and <clears throat> you know, that, that is a great thing for, for getting a group together. Um, we came together with this game in mind, which meant that we were all pretty like-minded when we came into it. Um, and if you're getting your group together, that's something to look forward to. Um, you know, we kind of had the game and brought the people to the game. If you have the group mm-hmm. bringing a game to it, it is a different approach and could be a little, little trickier. But. Yeah, I agree with that because, you know, when you're used to playing a game like D and D, you know different, and, and that's that's the only game that this group has ever played. Mm-hmm. You know these players have have only played D and D fifth edition. It's a little scary for players to to have a new game pitched to them. Absolutely, yes, that's that can be very very scary, especially uh, you know especially if something is too different. Right. And uh, people's comfort levels kind of go, you know, way down mm-hmm. when when confronted with unfamiliarity. Yes. So, I mean, it's also about having an open mind with that and at least reading it before saying no. Well, yeah. I mean, that's a big part of it. I think, um, well, you know, it is, there is a, you know, it's trying something new, you know, and that's that whether it's, you're talking about, you know, trying new food or, you know, going to a movie you don't know, not sure you want to go see, you know, this is, it's kind of the same thing. And it is a challenge. It's like, okay, we can sit down and play this, but if I don't like it, we could have spent that three hours playing D&D. It's a challenge. It's, it's just getting out of your comfort zone and uh, trying something because 
you know, while, yeah, sometimes that won't work, when it does work, sometimes it can be awesome. And something you'll never know, you you never know will happen, is is uh, you pitch a game to this group and they absolutely love it. Mm-hmm. So it could be, you know, either one sense of, of everything or the other. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think the uh, interesting dynamic can be some groups are going to respond. I mean, 7C is still sort of historical fantasy-ish, which is you know kind of mm-hmm. D&D-ish. But if you take something that's maybe science fiction, you know, if you came at them with Traveler, for example, is that going to be a bigger difference? Is that going to be something that is going to going to be okay? This is definitely not D&D. Let's let's try it. Or this is like D&D, but you know why change something? Why change things just a little bit? You know what I mean? Yeah, don't fix it if it ain't broke. Or yeah, pretty much. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Whereas something that's that's dramatically different might be a a better sell. A couple of my friends are, you know, writers. Okay, they they enjoy uh, book writing and story writing, and and uh, they do a lot of world building. Mm-hmm. And I, it, this is a separate group than than my current gaming group of friends. Okay, but I mean, I could pitch them. Uh, a white wolf game or mm. seventh C and they would, they would jump on it immediately. Yeah. Because, because that's the kind of people they are. Sure. If you know your friends, well, you should know what kind of games they'd like and it'll be a little easier to pitch some things to them. Well, and I think that can be part of, you know, you, know, you talk about the, the post game um, moratorium, you know, where you're, you're asking questions of what worked, what didn't work. Um, you know that is the place where you start getting a feel for your care, for your players as well. What do they? Right. What are they looking for? What uh, um, you know? What uh, what is working for them? What's not working? And that might be an opportunity to say, hey, they're looking for something that's maybe a little bit more narrative. Maybe a different game would be would uh, would appeal or be an option. Right. Yeah, and there are games out there that are a good balance of narrative and combat as well. Oh, of course. Like say say you do like something more tactical like the the Warhammer 40K stuff. Mm-hmm. There I mean also there's a way to role play that heavily. That would just be up to you to role play it. Absolutely, yes. Of course. And the, there's that customization with that. So if they like the tactical nature of Warhammer but want a little more role-playing, if you're playing Warhammer, just adjust Warhammer a little bit. Sure. Mark, I wanted to ask you how your 7th C game is going. You said you were you were GMing oh. a, a separate <laughs> game from ours. Yeah, we've, we've played a few times now, and uh, it's, going, uh, it's going great. Uh, got a good group together. <laughs> they... Uh, you know, I, I've kind of, you know, where you kind of uh, started with more of the diplomacy, I, I dove right into uh, more of the combat. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's been a little, you know, a bit more action-focused. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's interesting to see, you know, kind of two different sides to it, just seeing, uh, seeing it from two different directions. Um, right. And that's the thing with, with a lot of games, too. The, the story is, you know... Anything can happen ultimately. So these games are exactly the same. You know, we're both playing Seventh C. It's Seventh C, but a totally different group of characters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, different. Uh, you know, we're in different cities, different towns, 
different stuff is going on. The characters have different motivations, which is which is driving them in different directions. Um, right. And so you know it's 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 the same world um, using the same rules, but you know there's you know there, it's it's just an example of what variety is there. And it, you know what we were talking about earlier. It's a great way to uh, to see some things in, from different angles. Right. And a, and a cool thing to think about with like 7C, since it's the same world, uh-huh. these things could be happening at the exact same time in different places. Very true. Yes. Yes. That's like this, this world is, you know, ultimately customizable, but you know, in two towns over this other group of people who are also heroes could be doing things I, while I, you're doing things in a separate town. You know? uh, yeah. I've, I've actually kind of, kind of toyed with the, the idea of having my characters run into Nathaniel Marlowe as an NPC. That point. would be amazing. <laughs> you know, why not? Yeah. You know, since you already know Nathaniel Marlowe, uh-huh. you can, you don't have to make a brand new NPC. Right. Exactly. Because you already know him and <laughs> right. you're playing him in a different game. Yes. Um, you know, and, and, uh, yeah, I think they listened to this podcast, so, you know, they'd, they'd know it and, yeah, you know, they would be like Nathaniel Marlowe. That sounds really familiar. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and let them make that connection on their own. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I know you have developed a game. You've, you've developed a game before. I have. Yes. Um, I, you know, going, kind of going back to what we, we talked about, finding a group. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I got out of college and, you know, like, like a lot of us had that trouble finding a group, you know, especially in, in games in general kind of went through this phase of, you know, we talked about a bit, um, with, uh, when I started gaming, there were worlds of, of games out there. There was, you know, uh, Traveler, Rollmaster, um, Spycraft, there was, um, you know, just, just this whole variety of stuff. And it seemed like when D&D um, 3rd Edition came out, the D20 system, there was everything went to D20. Even 7C, the original 7C, went to uh, Swashbuckling Adventures um, and became a, a D20 game, which completely ruined the game. But everything became this. And I, and I, don't, I didn't like the D20 system. So I, that kind of turned me off to gaming. Um, and losing a group kind of turned me off to gaming. So I kind of went through a big spell of not getting to role play at all. And, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of wanted to get back into it, but didn't have a group. And, you know, there was kind of a challenge. I, you know, I could get with a person maybe. And so I started to think about what about a game for two people? A game with, where, you know, role-playing game where, with just two people, which there have been some... Uh, games that could be any actually most games could be done with just one game master one character um Mm -hmm. and you know i've I've done that and 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 it can work uh it doesn't have the same dynamic as a group but it can work but you know then you're back to that one person you know half half your party is is the game master so uh, i started to think about what if there was a way that both players could be players Right. And so I started developing a card game, basically. It ends up being kind of a, a kind of a board game where you got two players against each other, but the players actually create a character. You keep that character, you go up 
levels every time you play the game, that is your character, like a role-playing game. And, right. you know, the cards deal all the randomness. So you don't have a game master, but you have one person is an antagonist, one is the protagonist. One person's trying to do something, the other person's trying to stop them. From that point, the, the cards deal some randomness. There's there's these these kind of a flow chart of, of activities that you're trying to get through. You develop the narrative based on that. So you're both telling the story. You're both essentially the game master and the player. Um, right. So it is it is essentially a cooperative storytelling role-playing game. In terms of the storytelling, yes. But uh, okay. one, like I say, one person is the antagonist, and they're basically bringing the the challenge. They're they're kind of initiating the story. They come in and say this is what's happening, and then the antagonist explains how they're stopping it. Um, the theme okay. the theme I went with is because uh, because I started developing this and it had this kind of mechanical um, kind of this lumbering back and forth, you know, kind of chugging motion that immediately made me think of like a steampunk ad at from star mm -hmm. star Trek. So for a theme, I went with um, uh, steampunk espionage. So I named the game steam spy. You can find it at steamspygame.com. Great Christmas present. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's that time of year. It is that time of year. Um, and it's, you know, it, it's perfect. It's for two people. Uh, so if you can't get a group together, even if you have a group and maybe the whole group can't make it, this is a great alternative. You know, if you don't have, if you just have one friend, it's a great place to just kind of sit down, you know, with two people, develop some characters, face off. It's kind of a spy versus spy feel. There are, there are six factions, um, in this, in the game. There are, are six corporations, basically it's, you know, steampunk era. So it's kind of corporate espionage. Each corporation has their own spy agency basically so you have a corporation and a uh, spy agency that you work for kind of think of it as as uh, like a race and class in uh, standard role-playing games the uh so there are three sets each set contains two two factions two uh companies and two two agencies so one mm -hmm. box is all two people need to jump in and start playing but they all mm -hmm. interact. They all intermesh. There's actually a, a short story available on the site called Steam and Mirrors that okay. uh, kind of gives an introduction to the world and how everything fits together. But, uh, yeah, that's that's the basic premise of it. I'll definitely need to pick up a copy. Yeah, yeah. But it was all driven from exactly kind of what we were talking about, that, that trying to find a group and trying to, uh, um, you know, find some alternatives to uh, – to different approaches to uh, role playing. Yeah, and that's a that's a great thing to do. You know, with how experienced you are with different systems, if you're along those same lines and there's not a system that works for you, create one. Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um I have a friend of mine that I'll bring on the podcast uh, a little bit later that uh that he's developing his own his own game system. Nice. You know, I've developed my own mm -hmm. well somewhat game system. Yeah. <laughs> a a reskinned game system essentially <laughs> is what I did. That works. But I mean, if there's not something that works for you, if you have the means to do it, make it. That's really kind of one of the things that makes this hobby so incredibly wonderful is mm -hmm. the the versatility. There's a, there's a million things out there, especially on the internet. You can find a lot of variations and in, in um approaches and genres and and themes. Um, and 
if it's not there, make it. It's there are a world of things that you can you can try. Right, and I've seen like looking through the internet, I've seen there are a lot of fifth edition D and D like homebrew things that mm. people have put out there just to to add to your game, or you know, if if you want some variety within a game, I'm sure there's so much material out there that you can you can access there is yeah and you know i mean we were talking too about you know branching out and giving your group something if if they're diehard D players tr maybe try and make a science fiction version of the D D game um right like i did yes exactly and and that's something else that uh you know we we haven't really talked about there there are game systems that uh have different genre versions of it. Um, I believe the Fate mm -hmm. system is one of that. Uh, Savage Worlds, GURPS was a classic um, that was just had one right. set of core rules and then dozens of uh, different different themes that you'd go. You could go science fiction, fantasy, film noir, um, gangster. You could go, uh, you know, espionage. You could go, um, mm -hmm. you know dinosaurs you know anything yeah yeah it's a it's a thing where a lot of these systems have ways you can do that mm -hmm. that are already published by uh, either the creators or you know people that just made them right you know it's it's there's there's an ultimate there, there's an unlimited amount of of potential for these games and if you th if you think about it i'm sure somebody else has too right right that, and so there, there are ways to to find those online, and and you can just do your research. Yes, and it's, it's something you can find. That's very, very true. Uh, when you were talking about your game, it made me think of uh, a game system I heard of on a on a separate podcast. I apologize, but I don't remember the name of it. It is a uh, it's a, a two player role playing game that's uh, that's based around samurais, oh. and. They are there are these two two samurais that uh, that are in you know, epic heated battle. Yes, but have you heard of this? I think so. Yes. So the the story starts with that explanation, and they're fighting. But the actual game is going in the past and realizing these two people were friends, hmm. and these these people, the players tell the story about how it evolved to that, like what all they did. And it's essentially just storytelling. So what all they did and um, how they got to this point where now they're bitter enemies. Interesting. It, I, I don't remember the name and I need to do my research. It, it's, that's another great storytelling aspect for two players. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, when I started it's, it, it's great. You know, when I started developing steam spy, I, kind of specifically didn't know of anything that was that was two player oriented and mm -hmm. you know after it was out you know thinking hey i'm a genius i'm a innovator here um <laughs> i did find there somebody had a site of two player role playing games and there was you know maybe a, a dozen on there or so and mm -hmm. um i wrote her she was she said she was going to put my add my game but uh but yeah there there are a handful out there um they're, you know, they might be a little obscure, but uh, <laughs> there there are some options. Rewinding back to the very beginning, what is the best game system for you, Mark? Best game system for me? 
Well, the one I've run the most, I think, is... Well, I've run Star Trek, but I've run several different versions of it. So, mm-hmm. I don't I, I don't know that I could say one is... You know, which one, <laughs> specifically. Um, 7C works really well for me, because I love, I love the narrative feel of it, and I, I love the, uh, you know, the, the pure... I love the lack of... of um, of the tactical stuff. I, I really, when you pull out the, the game mats and start pulling out figures, I tend to lose interest. And I think, yeah. um, you know, it's one of the things that I kind of I like with uh, D&D 5th, ed- 5th edition is they've, they've pulled back from that. And I like that the 7th C just ignores that completely. In my 5th edition campaigns, I've found that I don't like the battle mat minifigures thing all that much anymore so i've just made it to where it's it's a uh matless combat yes yes i think that works so much i've customized that yeah and i've customized that to me and and it seems to work for the players and it's like you know movement isn't isn't a thing anymore uh you can just tell me i want to get closer to this person or I want to get farther away so I can get my distance from them. And it's, it's ultimately possible. It, it, you know, it's common sense, you know, can I move five feet? Yeah, of course you can move five feet. Can I move half a mile? No, of course you can't move half a mile. No. You know, there's, <laughs> exactly. you know, it, it's not that hard. But it's like within just... reason it'll, it'll take them a couple more seconds, you know, just to get there because, yeah. you know, in D and D the whole round based combat is, uh, a round is what six seconds, right? You know, and so that can be ultimately adjusted to your your uh, game playing needs, right? Because is, you know it's ridiculous to kind of pull out a stopwatch and figure out, well, can you really move that? Can you really do that in six seconds, or is that you know? It's like no, you know, it's going to be to some degree that's going to be thrown out anyway. So, and a lot of a lot of people I've played with with fifth edition. A lot of them have the mindset that it's more or less turn-based, you know, just because everybody takes their individual turn. Yeah. And they do they do this on their turn. But, but really, the way it's explained in the book is all of this is happening at one time. Right. So within this six-second period, all of this is happening simultaneously. Yes, that's true. And that's that's a thing that, that not a lot of people know. It's like... They think of it as a, you know, oh, it's an RPG. This is turn-based. Right. Yeah. There's this, there's this sensation that, you know, one person is frantically doing all this stuff while everyone else is just standing around. And then the next person starts doing all this frantic stuff while everyone else stands around. And then the next person. And, uh, yeah, you're right. You know, there's, you know, whoever has initiatives might be a, a split second faster than the other, but uh, it's all happening. Right. You know, it's kind of intermeshed. And talking about initiative, the reason I love 7th C is initiative can be ignored, ultimately. You know, I mean, it, it can be. It's a definite thing. It's like whoever has the more raise, the most raises, you know, has initiative. Yes. But we really didn't, fo- we didn't, we really didn't follow that in our, in our first session, and I was okay with it. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, we really haven't gotten to combat, which is really the only real pl- place that that kind of has a, any real bearing is, you know, if you hit them before right. they hit you. Yeah, you know, that might be an issue, but for the most yeah. part, it, it doesn't really matter much. Because it, it talks about, you know, in, in scenarios that, you know, whoever has the most raises goes first mm-hmm. in that scenario. Yes. But honestly, unless it's in combat or unless you're, 
doing something specific. It can go in any order. It, yeah, really. Well, mostly. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some things where, you know, there's a little bit of a cause and effect type situation. But a lot of times of what we were doing, True. you know, we weren't doing it all as a group. We were kind of split. You know, we kind of had the party it split. It was more individually. Yeah. yeah. So in that case, it really makes no difference. Um, you know, right. but, uh, you know, really it's only when there's a, there's that kind of cause and effect situation that, uh, you know, there might be an issue of, you know, well, I did that first, so that other thing shouldn't have mattered. And I'm, I'm the kind of GM that if I make that mistake, I'll realize it and kind of rewind a couple seconds and yeah, boom, it's fixed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, it looks like, uh, we're well over our time <laughs> that we usually take, we're, but, uh, it'll be a little bit of longer episode. We're, so. we're going to have to rename this show. I think the, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Tabletop radio hour ish. Hour ish, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. Well, everybody, this has been Tabletop Radio Hour. You can find us on Twitter at TabletopCast if you have any questions or comments. Like always, you can find this episode on SoundCloud.com slash Tabletop Radio Hour and on iTunes. I wanted to thank you all for listening to this episode, and we look forward to next time. 